the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Remember, Luke is writing his gospel to show us that our faith is reliable. Everything that we've been taught is true. And he's writing to a Gentile, Theophilus, primarily writing to Gentiles to show us they, they don't have the backdrop and the background of being in Israel when Jesus was around, like many of Matthew's audience, and even probably some of John's audience. So he's giving to us this idea that, you know, we didn't just throw, throw this new Jesus deity out at you, you know, that you could follow, but that the faith we have is a reliable one, one you can know is true. And chapter 21 was an awesome chapter because we spent quite a few weeks there dealing with prophecies, some fulfilled, some unfulfilled, showing how our faith is reliable. But now we're going to move from that Olivet Discourse in chapter 21 to chapter 22, where we begin the proceedings that lead to the cross. The betrayal of Judas, of Jesus, and then Jesus spending that last night with the disciples and the Last Supper. And so as we do so and we examine this, maybe when we come away with a, a clear definition of God's love for us. So chapter 22, we begin in verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. And then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him, Jesus, unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And so he promised and sought opportunity to betray him, Jesus, unto them in the absence of the multitude. Here in the first six verses of chapter 22, we see the making of a traitor. The making of a traitor. Now, it starts off by giving us the backdrop of this treachery. It says, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Passover was one of the three high holy feasts of Israel. They had seven feasts biblically. There's nine total that they celebrated, Purim and Hanukkah being, or the Feast of Lights being added later on. But Passover required all Jewish adult males to be at the place that God would set his name. So originally at the tabernacle, and then, of course, now at the temple. So because of this, Jerusalem would swell to over 2 million people during Passover. And since Jesus didn't stay at the inside the city at night, he was always surrounded by a crowd while he taught on the Temple Mount during the day. And this made it impossible for the religious leaders to arrest Jesus without starting a riot. For it says, the chief priests and the scribes sought, they were seeking, trying to find a way that they might kill him. 
The word there, kill, it, it doesn't mean to murder, like stab him secretly. Here it means to make away with or to kill by quasi-legal means. Their hope and their goal was to arrest Jesus when no one was around, you know, maybe, maybe at night or when the crowds were gone, so that they could arrest him kind of secretly, have a quasi-legal trial overnight, turn him over to the Romans for execution long before anyone could even know what was going on. That was their thought, but they just couldn't because Jesus didn't stay in the city at night. And wherever he went, the crowds were there because of Passover. And so they, they, they feared the riot of the people that if they tried to arrest him in public with a crowd there, that they would you know, take up arms to defend Jesus. And, and then as a result, that would get them in trouble with the Roman garrison and Jerusalem would experience a bloodbath. They cannot execute their plan, but just when it seems like they can't do anything, an opportunity falls into their lap. Verse 3. Well, then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. This is kind of a unique experience when we see that Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. The Bible teaches that there is a real entity named Satan, a fallen angel whose name is actually Lucifer, but he gets this name, Satan, because it means the adversary. That's what Satan means. He's the adversary. He certainly isn't God's adversary because God doesn't have an opposite, okay? God doesn't have anyone comparable to him. So he's not God's adversary. There is no joker to God's Batman. There is no Lex Luthor to God being Superman. He doesn't have an equal opposite, okay? There's no one who can challenge God. Satan can't challenge the Lord. So he's not necessarily an adversary to God. There's no one like God. Satan is sometimes pitted as the foe of Michael, God's chief angels, right? So, I mean, that's one reason he might be called the adversary. But more often, Lucifer, this fallen angel, this real entity, is called Satan because he's the adversary of mankind. That's why he is given that name. He is the adversary of mankind. Satan isn't omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere. So he's not likely to be personally pestering you, okay? I hear people all the time say, you know, Satan's giving me a rough time today. Well, probably not true. He's probably got bigger fish to fry. No offense to you. I know you're important, but you're not that important, all right? I even kind of chuckle when I hear people binding Satan all the time, and I think you might have more luck binding one of his minions, you know, because he's probably not messing with you, all right? And trust me, if that's what you're doing all the time, he's already got you where he wants you, so he's probably leaving you alone. This idea that he would enter Judas, I mean, that's unique. Satan himself is possessing Judas here. And that shows us just how unique Jesus is, that Satan himself will get involved in the execution of this plan. Luke 4.13, after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it says that, When the devil had ended all the temptation, he, the devil, departed from him, Jesus, for a season. Now, we usually think of for a season as for a period of time. But that phrase, for a season, actually means until a good chance arose. In other words, he picked one of the most vulnerable moments to hit Jesus there in the wilderness. He hadn't eaten. He's all alone, and he hits him when he's at his weakest. But Jesus wins. Jesus overcomes. He's victorious, right? So Satan goes away, not because he's going to wait for, I'll wait for five more minutes to tempt Jesus. He is waiting for a good chance to seek to tempt him again. 
Now, Jesus says in John 14, 30, the night of the Passover, the night that we're going to talk about today. Jesus said in John 14, 30, that night that Satan was coming back to oppose him again. Right as he's about to go to the cross. He's coming back to oppose him again, but I love what Jesus says again. It won't work. (laughs) The prince of this world comes for me, but he'll find nothing in me. He's not going to find anything here that he can work with. So it wouldn't work. But that opposition that Jesus spoke of in John 14, 30 starts here where Judas is possessed by Satan. Now, Satan can't just jump into somebody's body, okay? It's not like he can just do what he wants. So what in the world is going on here with Judas Iscariot, who is one of the 12 closest people to Jesus? The word Iscariot, it means man of Kerioth, which was a city in Judea or village in Judea, which makes Judas the only disciple who's from Judea. None None of the other ones are from Judea. Now, for whatever reason, Judas had been given the responsibility of handling the finances of the team. But he was embezzling from those finances. He was stealing from the money back. Whether or not Judas decided to follow Jesus initially, genuinely, I don't know. I don't know if he always was his plan to steal. I have no clue. I don't know if he was a genuine disciple of the Lord or not. That's not for me to say. But Judas had become, by this point, a liar and a thief. And his greed, you can see it, it showed through in his reactions to people's generosity. You would see his reactions to people's generosity, and it would mention, and Judas said this. And you could see that greed that had consumed him. And so now, he decides he can make more money by turning Jesus in than from his little embezzling project over the last three years. Now, before we move on, there is one other factor to consider. Just before Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, in the city of Bethany, Mary anoints Jesus for burial. Remember? She comes in. Mary, the sister of Martha, a sister of Lazarus. She comes in and she breaks open this box of very expensive perfume, very likely her dowry. Breaks it open and begins to, you know, wipe Jesus' feet with it, with her hair and stuff like that. And Jesus says that she was anointing him for his burial. But Judas, when he sees it happen, he complains that that oil, because it was worth so much, should have been sold to be given to the poor, i.e. given to him to manage and thus to steal. And what did Jesus say? Jesus rebuked him. Jesus said, leave her alone. Judas had been doing this for a while with different things that would happen because he was missing out on money. And so Jesus finally speaks up and says, leave her alone. For what she has done, she has done unto my burial. And guess what, Judas? What she did today will be known by people all throughout time because it'll be recorded in my word. Now that's probably smarted a little bit. (laughs) It's never fun being rebuked by the Lord. And when Judas was rebuked by the Lord, he now had a choice. He could receive the Lord's rebuke, know why he was so upset, and repent and stop stealing and stop lying. Or what's the alternative? When the Lord is correcting you, you either listen and repent or you what? You harden your heart, right? You harden your heart. Judas has a choice at this point, just a few days before he makes this decision, to harden his heart or to receive the Lord's correction and repent. And he clearly does what? Hardens his heart. Clearly. 
When you and I harden our hearts, we close off our ears to the voice of God, right? Because we don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what he has to say. So when we harden our hearts, we close off our ears to the voice of God. But that doesn't mean we don't listen to anything else. When we close our ears to the voice of God, we open our ears to other voices, our flesh. We can listen to our flesh, which craves things that don't please God. We could listen to the world who has a different philosophy, a different way of looking at life than God. Or we could listen to the enemy who lies to us and seeks to deceive us. And Judas started to listen, so much so that he opened his heart to Satan. You know, we often talk about Jesus entering into our hearts, like asking Jesus into our hearts, right? You know, it's a biblical concept that to ask Jesus into your heart. People say, oh, that's, that's not a biblical concept. No, it's, it is. It's very clear. Read Romans 10. So we often talk about that. But Jesus, he doesn't try to barge his way into our heart. He stands at the door and knocks, right? He doesn't try to barge his way into our heart, nor does he seek to trick us or deceive us into believing in him, right? When we receive Christ, we know exactly what we're doing. We know exactly who we're inviting in. And he does so with our permission, by faith. But the enemy is not like that at all. He's a liar, a thief, and a murderer. And he has no problem barging through a barely open crack in a door. No problem whatsoever. Barging through a, a barely opened crack in the doorway. He has no problem lying to us. He has no problem tricking us. He has no problem putting on a beautiful smile and offering you a wonderful product when he knows he's not going to be able to follow through and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. He has no problem doing any of those things. So because of that, inviting Satan or his ideas into your heart isn't something that most people knowingly do. Most people don't go, hmm, that idea is satanic. Awesome. That's, I mean, that's not how I operate. I don't sit there and think to myself, that sounds like the voice of the devil. Wonderful. I should listen some more. That's not how we operate. It's not how we function. Most people, at least, we invite Satan inside or his ideas inside by listening to them, by giving them an ear, by letting his lies find a home in our heart. And so when Judas opened the door to, in his heart to those lies, he ends up making a decision that forever changes his life, forever changes his eternity. He decides to betray the Messiah, to betray Jesus. And so verse 4 says, He went his way and communed with the chief priests and the captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad. They finally found a break. They were glad and covenanted to give him money. The word here for captains it refers to the officers of the temple guard. The Roman garrison had assigned some soldiers to the chief priests but they were not governed by Roman commanders. They were under the complete charge of the officers of the guard, temple guard who were also working with the chief priests. So these guys, this is who Judas goes to because these are the people that are going to need to come and arrest Jesus. And he explains how he might betray them. The word betray means to hand over a person to the control of someone else. I can manipulate the situation where no one will be around and I can bring you to Jesus so that he can be handed over to you without any issues. 
And when they hear this, it says they were glad. That word means to rejoice, to be happy, to be delighted. And they covenanted. The word there means to come to a joint agreement or arrangement. These religious leaders who could never agree on anything huddled up together and they said, let's offer them 30 pieces of silver to do this. He says, I can do this for you. What's your offer? They said, let's offer them 30 pieces of silver would be about a half year's salary. So whatever your salary is a year, divide it in two and that's how much he's going to get paid for this. It's a pretty decent sum. It's not going to set him up forever, but it's probably a little bit more than he's making from his embezzling project. They decide, let's offer him this, and then we'll have Jesus. So they covenant together and offer him 30 pieces of silver. And Judas, as we'll see in a moment, agrees. Real quickly, before we move on to Judas's agreement, it absolutely turned my stomach as I was reading this, that the plans of betrayal and murder bring these men happiness, joy, delight. Love doesn't rejoice in evil, the Bible says. So these men who claim to represent God, to love God, are rejoicing in trickery, deception, evil, betrayal. And secondly, even if they, the end justifies the means, even if that was their mindset, that, well, Jesus is a, a false prophet or Jesus is a, a harmful to the nation, even if that's true, the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So even if Jesus was a bad guy, they shouldn't be delighted. No one's death, not even a wicked person's, make, makes God happy. So let's not be those who rejoice in the demise of others. Let's not be those who rejoice in the success of evil plans. Judas, after all this went down, he rightly felt shame for what he did. Rightly so, because it was wrong. And so if your heart doesn't feel that conviction and shame, or if your heart rejoices like these men did, over the success of evil plans or over the destruction of a person, then please repent because that's not the Lord. And verse 6 says, Judas promised, which means he agreed to their offer. And then it says he sought or kept on searching for an opportunity, a good chance to betray Jesus unto them, the priests and the officers, in the absence of the multitude. All of Judas's energy from now on is bent toward finding a good time to slip away so he can bring the temple guards to arrest Jesus when there's no crowds to see. Every thought is focused on that right now. Every mindset is bent on finding that right time. He's not worried about what the other disciples will think of him. He's not even worried about what might happen to those guys, if they might get caught up in the violence of arresting Jesus. He doesn't care. All Judas wants is his money. Judas is indeed unique in that Satan personally enters his heart. In fact, the only other person given the title man of perdition is the Antichrist. That's what Jesus calls Judas, the son of perdition or man of perdition. The only other person in Scripture who's given that title is the Antichrist, who will be another individual who will be personally indwelt by Satan. I mean, this is definitely a unique circumstance. But I don't have to be indwelt by the devil to betray the Lord. Do you understand that? You don't have to be possessed by Satan to, uh, to betray the Lord. Because that same night that Judas betrayed the Lord, another disciple did. Peter. He was not indwelt by Satan. But Peter, in the same night that Judas greeted Jesus with a kiss, turned him over to the temple guards, Peter there warmed himself at the enemy's campfire and 
three times vehemently denied that he knew the Lord. The third time being so bold as to say, God, strike me dead right here if I've ever met the man. So both Judas and Peter betrayed the Lord. So you don't need to be indwelt by Satan to do that. See, like us, Peter and Judas experienced Jesus' love, mercy, and power, but both made decisions to betray the Lord. So how does someone get to that point? How does someone get to the place where you're going to betray the Lord, the one who loves you, who you've been with? How do you get to that point? Two ways. To betray the Lord, you must do two things. One, you must really want something that God says is wrong. Now, in Judas's case, it was money. In Peter's case, it was his pride. He wanted so desperately to be the one disciple that stood out. He says, all y'all are going to forsake me tonight. And Peter goes, they might, but not me. Hey, I believe you about them, Lord, but not me. And the Lord says, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail after you fall. When you get back up again, encourage your brothers. And Peter goes, I'm not going to fall. I'm ready to die for you. That's when Jesus had to tell him before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. But Peter's pride said, uh-uh, not me. So you have to first off want something that God says is wrong so bad. You have to want it. And then secondly, you need to start listening to the enemy instead of the Lord. That's the recipe. Coming on Netflix soon, The Making of a Traitor. That's how you become someone who betrays the Lord. When you want something so badly that God says is wrong, and you start listening to the enemy's voice instead of the Lord. And I'd ask you this morning, are you there right now? I'm not so naive as to think that everyone came here this morning in their most spiritual state and their most spiritual week. Are you there right now where you want something that God says no, but you're clinging to it? Or you're starting to listen to the enemy instead of the Lord? No one starts down the road of destroying their family by saying, I'm going to hurt everyone around me and I don't care. No one starts off down that road by saying that. I'm going to hurt everyone around me and I don't care. It starts by wanting something that God says, that's off limits, son. You say, yeah, but Lord, you know, I mean, it's got to be a way. And the Lord goes, there's no way. But then I start listening to other voices. My flesh, the world, the enemy, forces that begin to say, oh no, there's a way. God told Adam and Eve, I've given you every tree of the garden to eat. Enjoy it all. Just don't eat this one tree. And what does Satan tell Eve? Did God really say that if you eat this, you'll die? She was so fixated on that one tree, she forgot about all the other trees God blessed her with. And Satan latched onto that and offered her something and said, I don't think God's right about that. There's another way, and let me share it with you. I frequently hear people who are living in blatant sin and refuse to repent say things like, but I still love the Lord. I still love Jesus. I'm leaving my spouse. I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm leaving the church. I'm not leaving Jesus. I'm stealing from my boss. I'm not hurting Jesus. But anytime you justify sin in your life, you're not loving Jesus. Do you understand that? You're loving your sin. That's why it's called betrayal. I don't betray somebody who doesn't know me. 
I can't really betray somebody who's not close to me. I, I can't betray someone that I've not shown affection for. But the betrayal of Judas is here as he walked with him for three and a half years, lived with him, been his disciple, did miracles probably. Saw all the love, all the goodness, all the grace, all the miracles. And then said, I can still love Jesus, but have my money too. Have you ever wondered how Judas could identify Jesus with a kiss? He really believed that what he was doing wasn't that bad. Right? The old song goes, if it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. Horrible. Horrible song. Just because it makes you happy doesn't mean it's not bad. But Judas thought, I can still love Jesus and betray him. Get what I want. He really believed that his love for Christ could coexist with justified sin. But I want to tell you this morning, that's a lie from the enemy because Jesus said, not me, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. He said, you are my friends if you do what I say. That's not Pastor Will's systematic theology on following Jesus. That's a direct quote from Jesus himself. If you love me, keep my commandments. You're my friends if you do what I say. That's from Jesus, not me. But when you start listening to that lie that you can still serve Jesus, still love Jesus, but not do what he says, not keep his commands, that's when any horrible decision becomes possible. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.